Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. A reading from Romans. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a rightness for a rightness person through perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die but God proves his love for us and that while we still were sinners Christ died for us therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death and death came through sin and so Death spread to all because all have sinned. For sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death regained from Adam to Moses, even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam, who is a pattern of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like trespass, for it may die through the man's trespass. Many much more surely have the grace of God and the gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abandoned for the many. For wages of sin and death is death, but free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord, the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, my name is David Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, The first thing I wanna say, I don't know if he's here anymore, but the first thing I wanna say is good job, Eli. That was an awesome scripture reading, well done, an unusually challenging passage, and he nailed it. Um, I love watching our kids read scripture at this church. It's always so encouraging and wonderful. Um, As you just saw in that bumper video, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Long Story Short, aka the Bible's greatest hits. We're looking at essential parts of the biblical story from Genesis to Revelation. Today, we're talking about Genesis 3. Um, Adam and Eve and that pesky fruit that they're not supposed to eat. Um, I'm going to read that for you in a moment. Before we do, let's pray together. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, we pray now as we prepare to read your word. Open our hearts and minds that we might receive its message, understand it, take it to heart, and apply it in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who is the living word, and in the power of your spirit. Amen. From Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of the both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. To the woman, God said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden, to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. This story is not about eating an apple. That's the first thing you need to know. It's not about eating an apple. First of all, because the book of Genesis doesn't say it was an apple. The Old Testament only says it was a fruit. And it's only tradition that's made it into an apple. That's the first thing you need to know. Not an apple. Second, not an apple because apples are not that good. I don't want to upset any apple lovers here this morning. I don't want to upset the proverbial apple cart, but... I would not risk the wrath of God for an apple. An apple cobbler? Maybe. An apple pie with like the crumbles on the top? Maybe. A regular apple? No, definitely not. Third, 
and most importantly, it's not about eating an apple because the meaning runs so much deeper than that. As so often with scripture, the meaning and the depth and the richness of the message is a little bit below the surface and you have to dig to find it. Sometimes when people hear this story, and they read the second chapter of Genesis about God creating this lush garden for Adam and his wife to live in and then forbidding them to eat from this one tree, they start to think that the God of Genesis is a little bit arbitrary and pedantic. What's so bad about eating a piece of fruit? What's the big deal? How does that hurt anybody? The answer of the, the Christian tradition, of course, is that it's not about the fruit. It's about what it represents. The fruit represents our human obedience to God and our acceptance of the boundaries and limits that go along with being human. When the man and the woman eat the, fru the fruit, they refuse to accept those boundaries and limits. They reject them. And that's part of what the Christian tradition calls sin. Refusal to accept the God-given boundaries and limits that come with being human. Go back to Genesis 1, the seven days of creation we looked at last week. We talked about how creation reflects God's goodness, but only in a partial way. Every good thing about creation comes with an expiration date. Whether it's our careers, our bodies, or our lives themselves. And part of our calling as human beings is to accept that limited goodness as it is. To acknowledge the partiality of every created thing. If you go on to Genesis 2, you'll see the same thing. God creates Adam out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathes the spirit of life into him, the divine spirit. And so human beings in Genesis 2 are this strange hybrid, full of the noble divine spirit, and yet made of dust and earth, common mud, the stuff that blows away and crumbles when you hold it in your hand. In both Genesis 1 and 2, human beings come with boundaries and limits that are built in, that are there by design. Our bodies need food and drink and sleep. And when we try to deny them those things, it harms us. Our hearts and minds need relationships, friends and family and care and affection and love. And when we try to deny them those things... It harms us. Adam and Eve are tempted because the serpent seems to offer them a chance to get past those creaturely limits. The serpent comes along and says, look, not eating the fruit isn't a healthy boundary God has put there to protect you. It's a boundary he has put there to hold you back. God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he knows if you do, you'll be like him. You'll be like God. The serpent isn't simply suggesting to Adam and Eve that they eat a fruit they're not supposed to eat. 
He is suggesting, in effect, that they abolish the limits and the boundaries that characterize human life. To be like God means to transcend the limits life places on us, on our knowledge, on our experience, on our nature as embodied creatures. Adam and Eve fall for it, and the result is painful. By eating the fruit, they do not become like God. They do not do away with those human boundaries, but they do cause a lot of pain and relational difficulty. For the first time in Scripture, human beings hide from God. They hear God coming, and their conscience is pricked over their misdeed, and so they run away from him. For the first time, their marital relationship is harmed. God says, Adam, what have you done? And he throws Eve under the bus, blames her for his misdeed. The first time, but not the last time, a man has tried to get out of trouble by blaming a woman. The one who had previously been his delightful God-given companion is now his scapegoat. To spell out the consequences of what has happened, at the end of the chapter, God throws the man and the woman out of paradise, and he sets an angel with a flaming sword there to bar the way. They can't go back. The story of Adam and Eve is not about two people who lived long ago and far away and made a bad decision. It's a story about all humanity, It's a story about all of us, about you and me. I think if we're honest, all of us are like Adam and Eve. All of us struggle to accept limits. We struggle to accept that there are boundaries God has placed around our life, and we're easily seduced by people or situations that lie to us, that promise there's a way to get around them, to get past them, to get over them. Let me give you an example. God's created us as creatures who live in time. We are creatures who live in time. And no matter what we do, we can't get more of it. There are only 24 hours in every day. That sounds really obvious, right? By the time you're four or five, most people understand that. And yet, in my life, it's been challenging to me to accept that there's only so many hours in a day and we can't make more. When I was a kid, I loved to play video games. And I was allowed to play video games after I'd finished my homework and after dinner. So I would sit down on my computer, I would play video games for a couple of hours until bedtime. Bedtime was nine o'clock when I had to stop. I hated it. I hated bedtime. I hated nine o'clock so much. And I would, I would stall and say, oh, it's, it's only 9.01, let me play one more minute. And then I developed this very ingenious strategy. My mom had told me once that it was okay to turn on the shower and let it run for a minute or two so the water could warm up. This was true. So what I started doing is I would say, okay, I'm getting ready for bed, and I would go and turn on the shower and then sit back down at the computer and play more video games. 
And I told myself, okay, this is just for a couple minutes. Was it just for a couple minutes? No. <laughs> 10 minutes went by, 15 minutes went by, 20 minutes went by, sometimes half an hour would go by. And I'd have my parents knocking at my door being like, is everything okay? Did you pass out in the shower? Only to find me sitting at the computer with an embarrassed look on my face, fully clothed. There was a boundary, there was a limit to my day and I struggled to accept it. Now that I'm an adult, my interests have changed somewhat. I'm not quite as obsessed with video games, but I still have basically the same problem. I have three kids I adore, I have a wife who's wonderful, I have a job that's incredibly meaningful, and I have no time. And I want more time. I want to be able to do more with my day than what I'm able to do. And a big part of what God has been teaching me the last several years of my life has been to accept the limits on my time. There are only 24 hours in the day. I can only get so much done. I need to not burn the candle at both ends. What I need most is simply to, info to focus on the most important work God has given me to do. Being a dad, being a husband, being a pastor, and lay some other things aside, as good as they are. And that's been hard. It's taken me a while to figure that out. And I'm guessing if you know what to look for, you will see experiences like that all over the place. Experiences where people struggle to accept boundaries and limits of our human life. Go into high rises downtown, office buildings, and you'll see people burning the midnight oil at work trying as hard as they can to be good at their jobs so they can take one more step up the corporate ladder and neglecting themselves, their family, their friends, their health in the process. And many of them know they need to pump the brakes, they need some balance, but they can't resist working just a little bit more. Go out to Silicon Valley and you'll see titans of industry Men and women who have already made millions and billions of dollars who are scrapping and fighting to make just a few dollars more. And many of them know they've already made more money than they and their children could ever spend in their lifetime. They know they can't take it with them when they go, that their days on this earth are limited. And they know that their fellow human beings are often struggling to put food on the table and to supply their basic needs but they can't resist trying to make just a few dollars more. Go out to Hollywood and look at how people treat their faces and their bodies. In the Bible, to grow old was considered a sign of blessing, of divine favor. To have a wrinkled face or gray hair was a sign first that you'd managed to live many years, which was a good thing, and that you'd accumulated some wisdom while you did it. Nowadays, at least in the screwed up perspective of our entertainment industry, to grow old is a curse, right? 
something to be resisted and fought and deferred as long as possible with surgery and injections and fanatical exercise regimens. God has designed our human life to have healthy boundaries and limits on it. And yet we human beings seem to excel in ignoring them and trying to get around them in spite of the painful consequences. Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. They wanted to transcend the boundaries God has given us in our humanity. And all of us have a little bit of Adam and Eve in us, don't we? It's a serious and sober truth. It ought to give all of us pause and encourage us to stop every once in a while and examine our motivations and our actions. One of the best things we can do as a Christian is simply stay in touch with our actions and desires, stay in touch with the places in our life where we feel driven and compelled to push at those boundaries. And if that's all you take away from this sermon today, that's okay. But I wanna say one positive thing to you. Adam and Eve screw up because they want to be like God. And part of our job as Christians is simply realizing that we are not God. Part of our job as Christians is simply realizing that we are not God. God is God. And God is pretty good at being God. He knows what he's doing. Yes, we are certainly invited to partner with him in his work in the world. Yes, we absolutely have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us to empower us to be his witnesses and servants and messengers. Amen to all that. But at the end of the day, who's running the show? Him, not us. There is immense relief that comes with this realization. There is immense peace that comes with this realization. My job as a Christian is to be as faithful as I can in the situation God has put me in. My job as a Christian is to do the best I can with what I've got for Jesus today and to put the rest in his hands, trusting that he will be faithful. And I think if you look at the life of Jesus, we see this. The second chapter of Philippians reminds us that although Jesus was in the form of God, he emptied himself and took on all the limitations and boundaries of our human life. God became a human being that needed to sleep, that needed to eat, and eventually died, just like all of us will. We can put our trust in Jesus, who is God. I'm a fan of a writer named Greg Boyle. Greg Boyle, he's a Catholic priest. He lives in Los Angeles and he works with the poorest of the poor. He's written some wonderful books. Um, and he shares a story about a Catholic priest who spent all day working for God, working in the church. And at night he liked to pray. He would say, Lord, I've done everything I can today for your church, but it's your church and I'm going to bed. <laughs> I love that story. There's a wonderful saying I heard in 12-step programs that goes like this. You have to take life on life's terms. 
You have to take life on life's terms. I've been thinking about that one for almost 20 years. Here in the church, we might tweak it, of course. We might say you have to take life on God's terms. It's basically the same thing. In his wisdom, God has made us limited and finite with bodies and minds and families that need rest and care and love. And that's good. We can accept those limitations joyfully and faithfully, trusting that God is at work even when our capacities run out. May you find joy and peace in realizing that God is God and you are not. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxprez.org. That is K-N-O-X-P-R-E-S dot org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.